You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Well, hey, it is honestly, um, this is one of my favorite series every year, is Vision Builders. And the reason is I wouldn't be who I am, where I am, without Vision Builders. And I love that our theme this year is enlarge, and as many of you know, um, who knew my wife and I while we were out here, um, we are enlarging, literally, and I think I have a picture of my beautiful wife from just this last week. So she wishes she were here, she's eight months pregnant. She uh, literally could give birth probably at any day now, so she's like, babe, I know you wanna go out there for a week and hang out with all your friends, but you gotta come home in like a day. I was like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I don't want you to give birth without me. Um, and so she, she sends her love, and, uh, and that's our new plant as well. Uh, it's our first plant, we're really excited. Four years in, first plant. I mean, we're, we're making progress, y'all. Someone to call that enlargement. So, but seriously, I, I wouldn't have, like I said, I wouldn't have the wife I have, I wouldn't have the life I have, I wouldn't have the home, I wouldn't have the business, I wouldn't have anything in my life if it weren't for Awakened Church and it weren't for partnering with the vision of Awakened Church. I found my vision inside of the vision of Pastor Jurgen Leanne. And you probably heard it said when it comes to growth, because this really is not just about the church enlarging, right? It's not just about the church expanding. It's about you enlarging. It's about your finances enlarging. It's about your family life enlarging. It's about what could God do through us enlarging. Because ultimately, that, that's it. It's, it's not just the, it, you are the church. So when you get enlarged, the church enlarges. How crazy is that? And so you probably heard it said that enlarging or success or growth or however you want to call it can't happen overnight. Like you can't just snap your fingers and then all of a sudden, like there's no overnight success, right? The average overnight success takes nine years. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's true, except for one time. Except for one time. There's a man who lived a long time ago now, well over 2,000 years, and he wasn't what you would call necessarily an overnight success but he basically did snap his fingers and have the opportunity to become that. So my question to you would be, what if you could bypass the process and just ask one question and have one wish granted, what would you wish for? Maybe you'd wish for the heat to turn down like I would because this is way too hot, y'all. <laughs> I was talking to somebody earlier like, wait, like, you complain about the cold when you're here. You complain about the heat. Like, what's good for you? I'm like, fall. I told y'all, fall. I'll be here for three weeks every year. Fall. That's it. That's all I got. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay. Uh, that's why I live in San Diego. But I love fall here. And, uh, and so maybe you would wish for that. Or maybe you would wish that, um, you know, you'd have a Ferrari in your, in your garage. Maybe, maybe you'd wish for, you know, a home in Park City. Maybe you'd wish for, um, I don't know. You could wish for a lot of different things, but you only get one wish. Maybe some of you, I, I would wish for three wishes because then I get, no, okay, I, I see what you're doing there. It's very creative of you. But a man named Solomon in the Bible actually had this happen to him. And so we're gonna see what he wished for and how that enlarged his life. So we're gonna read 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 3 we can put it up. It says, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, King David, except that Solomon too 
offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship because at that time there was not a permanent place of worship for the Lord. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. It's a lot. It takes a lot of time. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Like, that's it. Like, what do you want? I'm gonna give it to you. And so Solomon, because you remember, God is gonna ask someone like this who can actually handle that question. Are we the type of people that could handle that question and advance what God wants to do in the earth? See, the only reason I reckon that God asked Solomon this question was because his father David taught him what to do when God came to him and said, I wanna enlarge your life. He said, Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you've continued to show this great and faithful love to him today because, or by giving him a son to sit on the throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Humility. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And it said the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. You see, because Solomon's heart was to honor God and to take care of his people, another way to say it is love God, love people, God gave him his request. And the Bible goes on to say that Solomon actually was granted everything else. He was actually given riches. He was given fame. God said, I'm going to make you more famous and more rich than anybody who has ever lived or anybody who ever will live because he answered that question right. And he didn't answer it manipulatively. Like, I know if I say this, then God's going to give me this. He's like, no, no, no. I know that what I've been given is not actually mine. And so for me to take good care of it, I need wisdom. And so I'm going to do what pleases God. See, Solomon could have chosen anything. God would have given it to him. But because he chose to build God's kingdom, God gave him everything else. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, Solomon spent seven years building the temple, employing over 180,000 full-time staff to do that. His father, King David, actually given him $7 billion from his personal treasury, not the nation of Israel, from his personal treasury, his personal account to do it. And yet somehow, so he's, he spends all of his time building God's temple. He spends all of his money, $7 billion, his whole inheritance, he, he gives it to God. He gives it to vision builders. Now I'm saying there's wisdom in how you operate when it comes to giving. But he said, he got wisdom from God, he's the most wise, and he, the first thing he does is he goes to build God's house. And so he, build, he spends all of his time, all of his money, building the house of God. And yet somehow, Solomon's peak net worth, personally, not the nation of Israel, his personal net worth, reached $2 trillion. That math doesn't add up, according to the world. But Solomon's life enlarged, not because he focused all of his time, energy, resources on building himself up for himself, but because he prioritized his whole life around what God was doing in the earth, around what God was doing in Israel. You see, when we 
can get ourselves in a headspace, in a heart space that says, God, whatever you want to do in Salt Lake City, use me for it. I will do whatever you need. Just make me a part of what you're doing in this city. I'll revolve my whole life around it. God will enlarge your life like you've never thought possible. Because as adopted sons and daughters, we have a pretty big opportunity to be part of something that uh, is special. And that's the building of the church. The only thing that Jesus promised to build was his church. And so there's nothing greater that you can spend your life building. And some would, obvi- some would call it the local church. Some would call it, you know, getting to be a part of the vision of God's house. But there's another way to say it, and it's the title of my message, and I want you to announce it to your neighbor, the family business. The family business. The family business. So I've got a few points that will help us understand how we can be part of, like Pastor Matt Tuggle was saying, God's partnership with you is being part of the family business. It's the best business you could be a part of. And so the first point is sons are stewards, not owners, as well as daughters, sons and daughters, are stewards, not owners. As many of you know, I grew up Catholic and Jewish, um, and so y'all think you've got a messed up religious past. Like, (laughs) let me just tell you, I was woke before anybody else was woke, y'all. I was the wokest of them all because I thought it was like cool and hipster to be too religious. No, my, my family brought me up that way. They thought it was a cool idea to let your kids pick what, you know, religion, um, you know, and that's just a fascinating thing. I mean, it ended up working out for good, but it was just a fascinating upbringing. So I, I remember I would go to Catholic mass on Sunday and then I would go to Hebrew school on Wednesday and then I would go to Shabbat service on Friday and that was my life. And so I remember seeing the different types of offerings that took place. So I remember in Catholic Mass, they had those massive, like, like sticks. Like, I'd go from here to back there where Devin is, and I could, like, have a net and a basket, and you just put your money in, right? They were COVID-ready before 2020, way before 2020. And, uh, and so I remember my mom would always give me, like, you know, a five, a one, a 20, and I was young. She was trying to teach me to be generous, and that was good. It taught me, like, hey, your life's not just about you. There's those less fortunate than you than you should. So, like, we were tipping God. It's one way to think about it. And, uh, and so we went there and, you know, the Catholic church, like, and, and hey, I've been there. I was Catholic. So what I'm saying to you, if it offends you, you can talk to your pastors afterwards. I will be leaving on a flight at three o'clock. So, but I didn't see a whole lot of prosperity growing up in the Catholic church. I didn't see a whole lot of prosperity at all when it came to Christians. I saw more prosperity in the world, which attracted me, who wasn't someone who wanted to worship God. And so the influence of the world got me more than the influence of the church. And so I saw that happening. But then I saw in synagogue, which is the uh, Hebrew version of Catholic Mass, um, I saw a different type of offering. You see, I was basically being developed for my bar mitzvah, which is where we run a service. When you're 13, you basically run a whole service, and you're become the man of the, like you become a man at 13, which is very young, but that's just, that was their rite of passage. It was their way of, of thinking. And so uh, I remember one of, the, one of the things we had to do is we had to go and raise money for the temple. And then we had to give a 10% of that. Like you had to raise money and give 90% away to the less fortunate. And then you had to keep 10%. You had to bring it as a tithe to the temple. And so I remembered seeing the Jewish people much more prosperous growing up than I ever did the Christians. Because they understood that what they had wasn't theirs. 
what they had wasn't theirs. It's kind of like the Hebrew, they understood like my house, my rules kind of thing. Like you, your parents out there, like I'm, I'm about to learn this. Like, like, hey, while you're under my roof, it's these rules and that's it. Like my mom was like that. She ended up kicking me out of the house because I wouldn't follow her rules. When I was uh, 19, dropped out of college and wanted to spend $100,000 of inheritance, she's like, yeah, you can go do that, but just not in my house. So my house, my rules, right? So when we're in God's house, although he gives us the freedom to choose, he's got rules, and I want to say that loosely, he's got a way of living that will actually help you if you would just follow it. And so the Jewish people understood, if I can just bring back what's already God's, he's going to bless me. He's going to bless me. And if we see how Solomon actually saw this exact same thing, if we look back in 1 Kings 3, and we're not going to read the scripture, but he says, he basically says, like, I've seen how you've treated my father, David. I've seen what you've given him. You've actually given his throne to me. So I'm in not my own throne. I'm in my father's throne. And my father's throne was given to me by you, God. And so everything I have is yours. So help me to take care of what you've given me. It's not mine. Help me take care of what you've given me. Solomon understood that what was in his hands wasn't really his, but rather his father's who gave it to him. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Every bank account you have, every car you own, your children, everything that is ours. Every, my house, it's not mine. It's God's. The world and all its people belong to him. And so when I recognized I was a steward, and I really learned this when I came to Awaken Church because we talk about it every single week, and not an owner, it became much easier for me to not only tithe, which is not robbing from God, but it came a lot easier even just partner with vision builders because I realized, well, it's not mine anyway, and, and if I feel compelled, not manipulated, I never felt manipulated to give, but I did feel compelled. I did feel, wow, God, you're stirring my heart for this. I want, to see your, I want to see this expand because sons are about their father's business. Sons extend their father's work here in the earth. Orphans try and do their own thing because they don't have protection or blessing or security or validation from a father, but your father already loves you. Your father already values you. Your father already says, hey, you're good, but there's a way that you can do this life that's gonna help you. And so preparing for this message, I was talking to my wife. It's always a good thing because I always run my messages by her because she helps me. I learned this from Pastor Matt. I remember you were saying this back in Young Adults. You would always run your messages by her. And so I remember I was just going to do that. It worked for him. He was a great preacher. I was like, I'm going to do that too. And, uh, and she's always got a few things. And so I'm like, wait, why did I ask for help? I didn't want, I didn't, like, you just told me to tear this whole, th- no, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a witness. Yeah, I got a witness. But seriously, she, but one of the things she says, she's like, Alex, why? Because when I got saved, I was full send. Like, it didn't really matter. My way of living hadn't worked until then. So I just didn't really care. I didn't even need to really know why at that point. I just said, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. And then I eventually figured, like, and I, and I now know why I believe what I believe. But at first, I didn't really care, and it worked for me. But she asked, she asked, why do you think people still struggle to bring the tithe and still struggle to give, even when they know it's all God's. I sat there for about three minutes, because I was like, I don't know, I just never had that issue. Like, I just, my life was such a wreck that that I said, God, if you save it, I'll give you everything. But I get, that's not everybody's, that's not everybody's story. And so, the next thing I thought of was, well, the only reason you would not participate in what God's doing in the earth, 
and commit your life, treasure, energy, resources for God's vision is if you didn't think God was a rewarder. I mean, you look at the story of the talents, right? Master, and this is a picture of Jesus giving one person one talent, one person two, and one person five. The one goes and buries it. Two turns to four, five turns to 10. He comes back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant to the five, because you doubled. Well done, good and faithful servant, because two went to four. And then he said, you wicked and lazy servant, you gave me back what was already mine. And, okay, I know people, I know it's a little intense. It's okay, go out, well, like hit the pool later. It's gonna be fine, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. But they realize, so, so God's trying to show in that picture that he's a rewarder. You see, God's not a communist. Salvation, yes, free, 100%, your gift. The reward that we get in heaven, that's for the faithful. And that's for taking what God's given us and multiplying it. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking every gift that God's given you. Your family, your kids, your job, your house. How do we take what God's given us and how can we be faithful with it? Because at the end of the day, you're playing one of two games. You're playing a game and you're looking at a scoreboard for what the world says is winning or you're looking at a scoreboard and saying, what does God say is winning? What does eternity say is winning? And I don't know about you, but this is a short life. I want to play for heaven's scoreboard. The second point is if you build his house, he'll build yours. I remember always hearing this at church, and I literally, once again, I just went with whatever I was told. So I kept like, this is scripture. Like, it's in there somewhere. There's a lot of pages, though, and I've never read a single one. So I know it's, or I've only read this much, this the Old Testament. So I, I, I'm sure it's in the latter half that I haven't read yet. So people would ask me and be like, is that a scripture? I'm like, yeah. It's actually not. It's not a scripture. Um, but that's okay because it actually says that thing. If you build God's house, he'll build yours in, in some different ways. Um, and so here's what it does say about that. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20 says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal, which is pertaining to giving to God because that is stored up in heaven. Uh, Luke 6, 38 says this, give and you will receive. That's right, you should give and expect to receive. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap. You don't have to go get it. It's coming to you. You see, when you give to God, you don't have to go out and hustle mode 5,000, be smoke. Like, no, you have to be faithful. But the key to what's in your heart is what's in your hand. And so you're going to get it back. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's Bible. That's not even like, that's not message translation. That's New Living Translation. That's real close, y'all. Real close to King James. All right, Mark 10, 29 to 30 says this. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure to you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now. Someone say now. Someone say now. 
Someone say now like you believe what you gave up for God is coming back into your life. Okay, that's fine. You don't want it. I'm just kidding. I know you want it. I know you want it. I know you want it. Will now, in return, a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. So if you're cool with persecution, you can get it all back a hundred times more. And that should mess up your theology. That should mess you up that God actually wants to give you a hundred times more than whatever you're willing to give to him. How could you even think that? But it's Bible. It's Bible. Along with persecution and the world in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. So you also get that. But it's not like only that. It's not only that. God's a rewarder. You cannot outgive God. Bottom line. So as many of you know, and I've shared this before, but we've kind of just closed on the whole story with our home and, and how 2020 was crazy for us. And, you know, we lost our biggest client, um, you know, when COVID hit because they had to shut down the business. And that was 40% of our income. And so immediately it hit us, like it hit us in March. And so we had a pledge to finish and we had a pledge to, to recommit. And so, you know, the year goes by and we're still believing. And we honestly, at the beginning, we didn't see a whole lot of God coming. He protected us, he provided, but we didn't see the exceedingly abundantly above. We had a dream at the beginning of 2020 to be debt free and to have a deposit on a home in San Diego. And that was gonna be about $45,000 that we were expecting to come in above what we'd normally made. And so at the beginning of 2020, we lost 40% of our income. But I wrote on my vision card something, and I believe God was faithful, that if I was faithful to him, he would be faithful to me. And so we come out to Salt Lake City. We got us to come out here, which was amazing for four months. But as a business owner who's warm market and all the people that I know are in San Diego, to come out to Salt Lake City and trust God for him blowing up my business was a faith step. But we knew if we built God's house, he would build ours. And so what we, I remember the 2020 offering came and it was Pastor Jurgen believing, hey, we need, to, we need people to sow on this side of 2020 who haven't seen breakthrough because they can. The devil doesn't have to have the signature over 2020. God actually can. And so we said, hey, what we have in our hand doesn't meet our need. It's not 45 Gs to do all that we wanna do. It's not even close. But what we can do is commit that 2020 towards our vision builders and trust that God's gonna make a way. And so we did that. And a week later, we found out we were pregnant. And then by the end of 2020, we were debt free. And then by five months after we gave that 2020, it came back 30 fold. So not only were we debt free, we came back to San Diego in the craziest real estate market that I've ever seen. We bought a home off market. And while we were closing on our home, Another home went into escrow that was 60 grand more than what we paid, and yet it was the same bedroom, same bath in our neighborhood. And then we had money to renovate, and then this last week, we equaled in revenue what we did all of last year in our business. So you can't tell me that you can outgive God. It's impossible. It's quite literally impossible. And so God wants to bless you. You see, my seed sown into the kingdom connected me to God's supply. But your seed in your hand doesn't do you any good. If your seed doesn't meet your need, then it maybe should be sown so that you can be connected to the supply of heaven. So God is good. See, when you prioritize the kingdom and when we build God's house, he takes care of ours. It's that simple. Our last point, and I would love the 
the keys to come up, um, is no vision, big problem. No vision, big problem. You see, while King David and Solomon both accomplished great exploits for God, they both had massive blemishes to their name and their legacy. And both were caused by the exact same thing. A lack of vision. David, obviously we know he like had conquered all these territories, had destroyed all of the Philistines. Like he, he did in his lifetime what nobody else had done when it came to demolishing the darkness of that time that was trying to take out God's people. And yet there came a point when he had accomplished basically everything that God had commissioned him to do. And so he kind of got what we would call complacent. The Bible says that when kings went out to war in the spring, so when he would normally go out and battle, when he would normally go out and say, I've got more territory to take, I've got more things to do for God, I've got bigger. As soon as he stopped, it said that he stayed home while the warriors went out to battle. And it was that very time that he stayed home that he saw as was bathing on a nearby roof, Bathsheba, someone else's wife. He ended up compromising his values. He ended up compromising his integrity, had massive blemish on his name and had a kid with her because he had no vision. He had fulfilled what God had said. And then he said, well, might as well stay home this weekend. Got nothing else to do. I might as well just settle where I'm at. I'm retired now. I'm cool. I'll just chip. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. Solomon, after completing the building of the temple, which was seven years, and his house, which took 13 years. This is in 1 Kings 9. All that happened. He built everything. In 1 Kings 9, Solomon continues to build his kingdom, but no longer is it attached to God's vision. So it starts to say all the crazy stuff he was accumulating, all the, like, it was insane the amount of wealth he was accumulating, but no longer was it attached to God's house. In, in 1 Kings 11, not even two chapters later, he's already backslidden. He went from one wife in 1 Kings 9 to many wives and concubines, and he's worshiping false gods in less than two chapters. Because when we fail to attach our vision to God's vision, we'll end up in a place we never thought we would. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. When your vision no longer requires personal sacrifice to God, you will begin to perish. And so I chose when I got saved to always connect my life, my business, my finances, my, my family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because not only is it good for me, it's good for my family. I know while I'm looking ahead to see what can God do in Salt Lake City, what can God do in San Diego, I'm not backsliding because I, I don't even have time. I don't have energy to do that. I can't compromise what God wants to do through my life for his house. What made them successful prior to their backsliding was the fact they hitched their life, their time, their energy, their resources to God's vision, to his church, to the family business. And they found their purpose and their vision within that. That's why I love pastors with a massive vision. So I'm so thankful for Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. 16 campuses in San Diego, at least, at least four out here. And so I want you to start imagining is what, what does it look like to have a church, to have Awakened Church, to have this 
in four locations across San Diego or Salt Lake City, meeting in every part of the valley to have the valley surrounded. What do your neighborhoods look like now that you got awakened church everywhere in Salt Lake City? What do your workplaces look like? What do businesses look like? What a, what's possible? And then what's it gonna take for you to be a part of that? Would partnering with that vision require you to become more? Would partnering with that vision cause you to come out of a settling, a comfort, a retirement? I'm good, I've got my 100, what if God could do more through you? Would partnering with that vision enlarge your life? I'd say yes. You see, six years ago when I surrendered my life to Jesus at Awakened Church, at a 5 p.m. service on a Sunday, just like this, I had no vision and my life was spiraling downwards. But when I heard the vision of Pastor Jürgen and Leanne, I said, how can I help contribute to making that happen? Because that's a worthy cause to lay my life down. If that's the only thing Jesus is building on this earth, I might as well get 100% behind it. And I found my vision, not outside of the church, but within it. Because there is nothing more important, nothing more significant, and nothing more urgent than what God is doing right here. Than what God is doing in this city, in this valley, in this state, and through you. And so I'd love if everyone could uh, just stand to your feet, actually. I just love everybody to stand to your feet. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to open your hands like you're gonna receive something. And I want you to just get quiet with God in this, in this moment. Don't worry who's looking left, look who's looking right. And I wanna give you an opportunity to really surrender, first of all, to Jesus, the one who is the head of this family business because he was the one who came down from heaven. The Bible says that for God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And so you may be here right now and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in different religion and you've never really committed, fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Today, I wanna to give you that opportunity or maybe you never heard this gospel. This is the first time you've heard that there's a God who actually loves you, who's personal, who's alive, who went to the cross, took all of your sin, all your dysfunction, all your mess ups, all your mistakes. And all he says is, if you would just receive me into your heart right now, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna accept you just as you are. But I love you too much to leave you that way, so I'm gonna transform your life. If that's you in this room, I just want you to lift your hand right now. Just wherever you're at. God loves you. You'll never be the same. Just lift your hand. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We're gonna pray here in just a moment for those people. But the second thing I wanted to pray for was this. Maybe you are fully saved and you're like, yep, I'm going to heaven. And okay, maybe I got challenged today on some of these some of these things you're talking about, enlarging, being part of what God's doing in the earth, surrendering to the family business. Well, there's someone in the Bible just like that. And we don't have a name, but we do have a story. And the story goes like this. There was a father who was a ruler and he had two sons. And one, at one point, when he was young, decided, you know what? I've got a vision for myself that's not a part of my father's vision. 
and I'm gonna go and take the resources that God's given or that my dad's given me and I'm gonna take it early, let's call it an inheritance and I'm gonna go and make it happen myself. And so that young man took that money and he went and squandered it on reckless living, the Bible says. And he ended up broke, in debt, dysfunctional, saying, I don't even have food to eat. I'm resting my head at night with swine in a farm in mud because I went away from my father's business. I went away from the family business. And he said, you know what? I've just got to get, I've just got to go back because even the servants of my father's house have food to eat. I need to get back in alignment with the family business. And maybe for whatever reason, you felt like up until this point in your life, you have not been about the family business. You have not been about the father's business. You haven't committed your life, committed your resources, committed your time, your energy to the family business, but you're saying, you know what, I need to, I need to run back because nothing that I do outside of the family business is gonna echo in eternity and I want my life to matter. I'm not gonna ask anybody to raise your hands, but I am just gonna want you to take a moment with the Holy Spirit and commit whatever you have, all that you are to the family business. While I pray, Father, I thank you that if you could take my life from what felt like a pig's pen and you took me into a palace, Father, you can do the exact same thing with every person in this room. So Father, we thank you for all shame to be broken off right now in the name of Jesus. All guilt, all condemnation. The Bible says that there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we break every lie that it's too late. We break every lie that it's not enough, that what I have isn't enough to contribute to the family. But we, we break every lie right now that their life is insignificant in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that all of our lives can change. All of our lives can transform. All of our lives can enlarge when we commit everything we are, all that we have to you. Whether it's a dollar amount, whether it's time and serving, whether it, whatever it is, Father, we thank you that as they build your house, you would enlarge theirs. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father, we prophesy release of miracle homes right now in Jesus' name. We prophesy a release of investment properties. We prophesy a release of businesses started, of marriages restored, of sons and daughters coming back to the house. Father, we prophesy every lie broken over these people. And Father, your word released, your truth released, your light released. We prophesy health right now in Jesus' name. Wherever there's been sickness, wherever, wherever there's been even chemical imbalances in the brain, we command righteousness into their bodies, righteousness into their bodies in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you're a good, good dad. We trust our life to you. We surrender our life to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.